Uh, last Sunday we started the Advent series, Gifts of Christmas, thinking about some of what God has given us in, in, with the gift of Christ, what he has given us with the, the gift of, of our Savior, um, you know, and, and what unfolds there. Um, I told you last week that the gifts is an acronym with each letter of the word gifts is a, a, the uh, first letter of what we'll be looking at each week, G was last week. That's grace. That was kind of a gimme for two reasons. One, it was already printed on your outline. And, uh, you know, G and grace just seem to kind of go together. I was just kind of curious. I know some of you have worked on, you know, trying to think of what some of them would be. Um, I told you that I thought this week uh, would be a little more difficult. Uh, The I and the T, I think, you know, uh, both will be a little more difficult for you. you see on your outline there, uh, the I am thinking of inclusion. Anybody have that marked down for there? Yeah, I didn't think you would, because why would you? You know, but um, I, I think today is the hardest one if you're guessing. Uh, anyway, um, it's it's nice to be included, not to be. It's it's nice not to be left out. You know, nobody likes being left out. Um, remember when Oprah Winfrey had her TV show and she used to um, do giveaways, you know, to everybody in the audience. You know, you get a Hamilton Beach mixer, you know, or you get a, a toaster oven or whatever it is, and everybody gets one. And then, but her most famous one probably is when she gave away um, the cars, and she gave away a car to every member of the audience. Uh, you know, and you know, you, you might have seen it or you know remember. And she was saying, you know, and you get one, and you get one, you know, and you get one, and you get one. Now, just think of what it would have been like. <laughs> and she's got done this, and she said, uh, and now we have some cars, and every other every other member of the audience is going to get one, and you get one, and you don't, and you get one, but not you, and you get one, but not you, and just think if that's what she would have done, and I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I would be one of the people that would be counting, whoa, whoa, and I, I you know, switching places with the, with the person next to me, just say, because why, we all want to be included with the, and you get one group, you see, we want to be included with that, um, you know that, 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 that now that was in 2004. I looked it up. It was in 2004. It was over a nine million dollar giveaway. The value of all of those cars it was worth over nine million dollars. Uh, today that would be uh, worth you know over 14. That nine million now would be 14 million. Uh, you know nine million then would be 14 million now. Uh, but you know, what she gave away were fully loaded Pontiac uh, G6s. And if you had a 2004 fully loaded Pontiac G6 now, uh, today it would be worth less than $5,000 if it was in excellent condition. You see, here's part of the problem. Well, it's lost over, it has lost over 84% of its value. That's if you still managed to have the car 20 years later and if you still managed to keep it in, in good condition. You know, now, while it would have been a lot of fun to be included in that giveaway, you know, and it would have been pretty excited. I mean, um, I, I watched the, the um, recording of it on, on YouTube, and uh, they were pretty excited. You know, I mean, the, the, the people in the audience were, Whoa! you know, I mean, it was, uh, you know, bedlam. They're kind of all out of control there. But, um, um, you know, it was, it, and it was a nice gift, but it was temporary at best. 
you know, I, I, I don't know how many of those still are out there, uh, but I do know that they continued to lose value with each passing day. And in fact, the more you used it, the less valuable it would be today. If you just drove the average of 12,000 miles a year, which is what they say the average is in the U.S. now, you would have 240,000 miles on that car uh, by now, you know. Um, and it wouldn't be worth nearly what it was when you first got it. And if you drove your grandkids around, it would have stains and crumbs and and let's be honest, and if you eat in a car, you know, it would have some, And if you picked up pizza, and then the next morning when you get in the car and I said, what's that smell? It's a pizza, you know. Uh, the, um, here's the neat thing for us, though. The gifts we're looking at that we get from God, the gifts we get through our relationship with Christ, they will never wear out. They will never lose their value. In fact, you know, they become more valuable with each passing day. They become more valuable, you know, even the more we use them. God's grace, which we looked at last week, you know, when we look at God's grace, it will never wear out. It will never be useless. It will always be ours. We will never use it up. That's the same that's true with the gift of inclusion, which we're going to look at today. Let's pray, though, before we turn to our passage. Father, thank you. You give good gifts. Now, there's no question about it. We all have been pretty excited and pretty pumped up to get a, somebody give us a free car. That would be really, we, we'd go, we'd be excited. We really should be excited and need to be excited about the gifts you give us. And what a great God you are. What a great gift giver you are. What a great provider. What a great Savior. Teach us from your word today. That is one of your gifts to us as well. Thank you that we can uh, turn, we can look, we can see more about you. Uh, draw us deeper into your heart by what we look at today, we pray. With thanks, in Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, that great Advent passage, you know, it talks about, but anyway, it's on page 1113 in the Pew Bible, if that's what you're using. Last week I told you I looked at several passages, in fact, for last week's uh, sermon, I looked at 134 different passages because they, you know, that, that dealt with grace and, and looked at it, and you know, um, and uh, I didn't look at nearly that many passages this week, but I looked at several, many different passages, and I ended up here at this first Peter passage. Our focus is going to be on verses 9 through 12, actually, uh, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to just summarize chapter 1 for you very briefly, and then we're going to, I'm going to start reading at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 and just kind of do a, 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 you know, explain a little bit as, as we go along there. In chapter 1, P Peter reminds his readers, including us, that we're aliens, strangers, temporary residents, that we are temporary residents here because our real home is with God. That's why he referred, I like, I like the translations, a, uh, aliens, you know, that you're aliens. Uh, Petra, you know, had a song, Aliens, and uh, just a, a, a good song, but you got to like rock and roll anyway. Um, 
that whole picture, you know, that this is our temporary place. And this is what he begins with. This is what he begins with in the first chapter there. And he explains the hope that we have in Christ, that our real home is with God. Our real home is with Jesus. And, you know, that this relationship we have with Christ, you know, and, and that that is our hope. And that's our only hope. Our only hope is in having that relationship. Now, he also explains in, in chapter 1 that that relationship comes uh, with the expectation of changed living because now we live we live with and for Christ you know that when we come to that relationship with him we live with him we live for him uh, this life is temporary and we have you know and we we have new life and new life means new living you know now that chapter 1 look chapter 1 ends with the statement it says and this is the word that was preached to you as the preached as the gospel to you that this is what was preached as the gospel to you now follow along this is going to be an interrupted reading of of uh, the first several verses of of chapter 2 i'm going to interrupt myself he start, he, he starts with so and you know so it's because you know because the gospel brings you to a new life because that gospel brings you to a new way of living he says you know so rid yourselves of so rid yourselves put in that effort put in a repeated effort to eliminate notice what he says all not just some all malice all every bit every bit of deceit hypocrisy envy and all all that could even be considered slander you know don't put up with even a hint of these in your life is what he's telling us he says instead verse 2 like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it uh, for your salvation. Now the call here, the call there with those verses is not to stay like an infant. He's not calling us to stay immature. You know that is that is just milk, but desire, you know that desire, that craving that a child has for milk, have that desire, that craving for growth. Have that desire and craving for that which will help you grow. You know, crave that which is going to help you grow is what he's telling us there. And, and you grow by taking in, in God's word, getting it into your life more than simply into your head. Realize there's a difference there. There's a difference between getting it into your life and just having it in your head. And he's calling us to get it into our life there. Verse 3, he says, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, seeing and experiencing the goodness and gracious, the kindness of God should drive us to want a deeper, stronger, more vibrant relationship with him. Yesterday, Mandy and Michael came in uh, to pick up some stuff. Their kids mainly uh, because we had them. Uh, but, so we went to Sam's Club and then we went to Sam's Club and they were doing, you know, you can, if you go there just before lunch, it's kind of a neat thing because you don't have to buy lunch. You go there and you eat all the samples as you walk around. Well, we were, you know, we were in one part and we had two different carts and uh, Ginny hates going shopping with me and I don't blame her because actually, you know, maybe she doesn't. But uh, she goes one way, I go another way. I go look at my stuff, you know, and then, you know, we're on the phone. Where are you? Well, she's on the phone. Where are you? Well, I'm over here. Anyway, um, so we got separated just a little bit, not Jenny and I, but we got separated from Michael and Mandy and the kids. Well, <laughs> I'm coming down one, one way. Max is coming another way, and I noticed Max has a sample cup in his hand. And I said, Max, where are the samples? And I look on his face. I thought I didn't want it because he just had this horrible look on his, on his face. And, oh, 
And he hands it, you know, he hands it over to And it's these little, it's these crackers, you know, look like bird seed to me, you know, mixed into crackers and all this stuff and, and all that. And it, Max did not like it, you know, he says, but here, you know, he's saying, look, that's not the picture he has here. He says, now in verse 3, that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know, that you've seen that he's good. You know, you, you want that deeper, that stronger, that more vibrant relationship with him because of what you've seen. Verse 4, coming to him, that means we're putting forth a purposeful, intentional effort, and you know, putting in that time to connect with the risen Lord. He refers to him as their a living stone rejected by men. Now, don't be fooled by them. Don't be fooled by those who, who reject the Lord. No, he says, but, but Jesus, Jesus is chosen and valuable to God. Verse 5, you yourselves as living stones are being built. That's a process, being built, a process he's talking about there, the one that we should be working on, the one that we should be working to get better and better at. You know, cooperate with God as, you know, cooperate as he works to make us, what it says there, into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, those people who are set aside for purpose purposeful service to God. He's not saying that this is only for the leaders. He's saying you, you who have a relationship with Christ, realize you know, that you are called to be being built into this spiritual house, this holy priesthood, those who are set aside to serve God. It says, for the purpose to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not simply whatever you want to do, but it's service through Christ. Not whatever seems like it would be fun to you, you know, but that service to God, serving God, remade by God. You know, it, now, it may involve pain, and sometimes it involves pain because of what we do. It involves pain sometimes because of what we do, you know, because we do stupid things. We make foolish choices. We make selfish endeavors. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's because of what others do. And we just suffer the consequences of that. That happens in life. You realize Jesus died on the cross because he was suffering the consequences of evil actions that others did. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's because um, God knows what's best for us. Not just for the moment, but for our ultimate good. Uh, we have some friends uh, who... Um, both found out, um, well, Tim and Jeannie Johnson, some of you know them, uh, and Pastor Ken has mentioned this on Wednesdays. Uh, the week before Thanksgiving, uh, they, you know, uh, Tim found out that um, you know, he has prostate cancer, and his wife, Jeannie, found out that she has ovarian cancer. Uh, they found this both out in the same week. Um, Tuesday, this past Tuesday, Jeannie started chemotherapy. Um, it's not a fun thing. But the goal there is that she will get better. You know, and she agreed to this chemo because not because it's fun, but because it's something to help her get better. Later this month, Tim will undergo a procedure, not because it's fun, but because it's that goal to get better. Sometimes pain comes because God knows what's best, not just for the moment, 
but for our ultimate good. Verse 6, he says, for it's contained in Scripture. Always look at what Scripture says. It's contained in Scripture. Look, Scripture needs to be your guidance. You know, it needs to be the guidance for you. Not what man does, not even your circumstance. It needs to be Scripture. He says, verse 6, middle of verse 6, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him, that's the one who puts believing faith you know, in Christ Jesus, crucified, crucified, buried, you know, risen again to life. It's a faith that directs your living. That's what he's talking about when he says, one who believes in him, that faith that directs your living, a faith that relies on Jesus Christ's sacrifice for that person. He says, that person will will never be put to shame, will never be disappointed. That's what, it, that's what the phrase means, will never be disappointed. I, I cannot tell you this enough times. I, I, I can't tell you this enough times. I have never, I have never been sorry that I have followed Jesus. I have never regretted following the Bible. I have never regretted following God. We, we, we need to do that. Now, I could give you a long list. I could give you a very long list of times I have regretted not following God. Verse 7, So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, that's those who, you know, the unbelieving because they rejected Christ, you know, the, the unbelieving because of their rejection of Him, that stone that the builders rejected, that's the, they reject Him, this one has become the cornerstone. Now in there, it, when they built the cornerstone, see for us, a cornerstone does what? It holds some junk that we break open a you know, hundred years later. That's not what they did. A cornerstone for them, a cornerstone was laid out, and here's the cornerstone. Every part of that building was measured off of this cornerstone. The, 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 the length of it, the depth of it, the height of it, everything was measured off of this cornerstone. That cornerstone was the key in how that thing was built. It was the, and he says here that Jesus, you know, Jesus is that cornerstone. A stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobeyed the message. They choose to ignore Christ. They choose to ignore, you know, Christ Jesus, you know, himself and all that he taught. He says they were destined for this, rejecting, you know, rejecting salvation through Christ in this in this life seals your destiny for the next one. Now that brings us to the verses we're going to look at and a huge transition which comes about in verse 9. Follow along with me. He says, "But you but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pause there for a minute. We'll pick up. We're going to pick up with uh, you know the other verses in a little bit here. But he's he's talking here. He's making a contrast. You know he says, "But you." There's the contrast. The whole huge contrast. This is what happens. And those people rejected God. He says, "But you." You know, but but you there. In contrast to those who rejected God. In contrast to those who are opposed to Christ Jesus. And therefore they're lost. They're lost because they because they oppose Christ Jesus. He says we are included. In Christ we are included. Now look at that description in verse 9. He says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Do you feel like that? 
We don't. We don't sometimes, do we? But look at it. Look at it again. I'll show you, you, those who are in Christ, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Now, if you're reading the Holman Christian Standard or maybe even several of the other Bibles, there's a lot of footnotes there. You'll notice, you know, there's a lot of footnotes and those phrases. And if you look down below, those all bring you back to Old Testament passages because these are all Old Testament descriptions of God's people. These are Old Testament descriptions of those who belong to God. And what he's saying is, you know, what he's saying is those who, those who, are, who are in Christ, those who have a, that saving relationship with Christ, those who know him as their Savior, this, he says, this is, this, this is what, what, he is, what he has given us. There's that change of status. I told you, it's a huge transition you know, when you hit verse 9 when he says, but you. You know, that huge transition, uh, you know, th- that status from being one on the outside to one who is now included one who is now part of God's possession, one who is now someone belonging to God, and it's for a purpose. He says, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you. So that you may... He included us. He included us so that we will tell others about all that God has done for us. He wants us to tell others about all that He has done for us. Now sometimes we actually approach this relationship with God, we actually approach this relationship with God you know, as, if, as if God owes it to us. You know, we come as, as if he owes it to us. You know, we, we, we come, you know, like it's all about us. It's all about our wants. It's all about our desires. And particularly, you think of prosperity gospel stuff, but you know, that's not the only ones. We fall into that thinking sometimes too, that God owes this to us. Notice what he says, though, that we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think the lights we put up at Christmas, what a great reminder that the light of the world has come. Now, some put it up because they like decorations. That's okay, too. But you know, the, the whole, uh, you don't, you know, look at it, look at it as, you know, the, the whole light, you know, the whole light, that whole picture there. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Darkness is where we lived before we came into a relationship with Christ. Uh, now, uh, uh, Dean's been going through, uh, has started going through uh, the book of First John in our Sunday school class, and it's, it's it, I, what a, I, I really like that book, great book. And John has a lot to say about darkness and light. Uh, you know, in his first, in his first letter, first, not the gospel, but in his first letter, part of what he says, and uh, he says, "Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you: God is light. God is light." And there is absolutely no darkness in him. Don't ever fool yourself. There is absolutely no darkness in him. It's not that, well, this just isn't so bad. There is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we are lying. 
if we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth, not involved in living the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, as we do life according to his word and his truth, according to, the, to who he is and, and all that he has given us. If, we, if that's where we're living, it says we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Not just part of it. Not just some of it. If we if we have that if we have that relationship with him, a relationship that changes our life so that we're walking with him, he cleanses us from all sin. You know, because because we have made, we we haven't made that 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 commitment of saying you know we have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness. We're not doing that. And so, you know we have fellowship with him and we're trying to we're, you know we're we're living in the light. Living in a darkness is living separated from God. You know, living with God, following God is living in the light. That's what he tells us here. And because of our relationship with Christ, God includes us in his light. He has called it into his marvelous light, he says. God includes us in that light. We're called out of darkness and we get to live in his light right now. Right now. Now we get to live in his marvelous light. Right now we have that choice to live and we make that choice to live. You know, and if you're not walking in the light, then you're not walking in the Lord. You're just you're lying if you say you have a relationship with him, but yet you walk in darkness. You're lying, it says. You know, you're walking in the light. That's where he is in the light. He says, once you are not a people because you rejected God. When you reject God, you're not a people. A relationship with, with Christ makes us one of his people. A relationship with Christ, you know, we have in, you know, inclusion, and that connects us to each other, he says. That connects us to each other. We have that relationship. We're connected as his people. The things, the things that divided us no longer do. Those things that divided us no longer divide us. You know, think of the, of, of the whole birth narrative of Christ. The shepherds and the wise men came from very different aspects of living. They came from very different uh, levels of living. They came from very different backgrounds. They came from very different... Very different uh, uh, um, living arrangements. They came from very different countries even. You know, they were included though. They were all included in coming to Christ. Here in First Peter, you know, he's writing to those who were Jews, and now they're scattered among the Gentiles, those who didn't know God. That's how they were still dividing things in their mind. Jews were those God's people, Gentiles, those who didn't know God, and you know, in their minds, that's still. But but now in Christ, he says they're connected. Now in Christ, they're connected. Paul, part of what he wrote to the Galatians, he said, uh, for as many. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, that's that identification, that identification that we have this relationship, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have, have put on Christ like a garment. 
What's the first thing you notice about people? Well, generally, you kind of notice what they're wearing. If you're, if you're, you know, telling somebody, you know, go, you know, you're looking for somebody, you know, Clinton's got on a red, you know, a red shirt. Go, you know, that, so then you know who that is. What, what the one, with the garment, that obvious quality about them, that obvious thing standing out there. He says that you know, put on, put on uh, Christ like a garment, make it obvious. But then notice what he says. There is no Jew or Greek. In their minds, that was a separation point. He says, when you've come to Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. No slave or free. Separation point for them. Male or female. Separation point for them. He says, for you are all one in Christ. Those things... now. Those things that used to separate us are not removed. They're not removed. Because in the church even there, they had Jews and Greeks. They had slave and free. They had male and female. You know, it's, they, they, they don't cease to exist. You know, they still exist. You know, but now the things that used to separate us are rendered powerless. They're rendered powerless. They are no longer the things dictating what we do. They are no longer separating us. Inclusion connects us to Jesus and it connects us to his people. We hosted a uh, retiree's lunch on Wednesday. The um, central region, Fort Wayne area pastors who who uh, retired, met a, a number of them, about 25 of them met here for lunch uh, on Wednesday. And I know most of those, I know most of those guys, most of those people, you know, and their spouses even. Uh, and, you know, I was, uh, I was downstairs, they, you know, when they came in and uh, I was manning the coffee pot and I made coffee for them. And, um, I was just looking at what um, what a variety of guys there are there really and and their wives and um, you know I was thinking what a what a neat thing to see them and many of them I was talking one one who was there Todd Hobbeck or some of you know Todd he pastored up in Gurney he was he uh, was the, uh, Kent Sarah's pastor. For a while, when Kent was in school, um, and Todd and his and his wife were there, and uh, uh, you know, Todd said, you know, he said we started this about the same time, you know, um, and we did. He he was on staff in Zion before they, he planted the church in Gurney, and he was on staff there. And at the same time, I started in Riverdale, you know, and. Um, you know the, the the whole that whole thing of I I never I would never know him if it weren't for our relationship with Christ. Uh, Sam Berkey was there. Some of you know Sam Berkey. Well, he was in Haiti with with Inningers when they were there, uh, and Sam Berkey was there. And um, yeah, and I've known Sam for years, uh, and just to see him, I think you know, but. Uh, Max Wanner's wife, Rachel, was there. Some of you remember Max. Uh, 
he pastored in, uh, at uh, Harvester when I first came here. Uh, and Max, he, he was a good guy, you know. He's with the Lord now. And um, uh, but his wife Rachel was here, you know, and she came, you know, just to talk and reminisce and stuff. And I'm looking at these guys and their wives, most of whom I know. Not only would I never have known them outside of a relationship with Christ, I mean, I wouldn't even have met them. Many of them I wouldn't even have hung out with. There was nothing. There would have been nothing in common. Look at each other. Outside of Christ, you know, a lot of us, you know, we wouldn't even know each other. This is part of what he talks about, you know, when he's saying that, uh, you know, that together, that inclusion that comes. It's a gift from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I was looking at those men and their wives, and many of them don't even know the impact they've had in my life. You know, just not only their faithfulness, and some of them too, I know some of the things they went through. Physically, for some of them. Some of them, you know, were in churches that just beat them up. Uh, God's been very gracious to me. Two churches, you know, Riverdale and here, and both, you know. It's, I was talking with somebody on uh, on uh, Friday, and I said, uh, you know, they were asking me about ministry and things, and I said, I really haven't had issues. Maybe I haven't. I just didn't know it. Um, I said. God's been very gracious to me. I haven't had people, you know, beating me up in the ministry. Well, we had one, but we took care of that. Um, you know, but really, it's uh, those connections that God God brings. Uh, what a neat thing, you know. We are included, a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. Pick up with me, verse eleven. We got to finish. 11 and 12. Um, he said, Dear friends, I urge you. Now that's, more, that's, that's stronger than just I urge you. It's I urge you. I implore you. I can't say this strongly enough is what he's saying. I urge you as strangers and temporary residents, bringing up that picture again, to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in the case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of his visitation. You see, because in Christ, we are included as residents with him. Residents with him. Uh, the earth is no longer our home. I urge you as strangers and temporary residents. Ginny and I got our passports. Never had a passport before. We got our passports uh, because if you want to go to Canada, you got to have a passport now. And um, we thought it would be nice to go to Niagara Falls on spring break, and so we needed to get a passport. And, uh, and so they came in the mail this week, and we were thumbing through them, and they have some of you already have passports, you know. So, but this is the first time I really even bothered to look at one, you know, and they have these, you, you think driver's license pictures are bad. <laughs> I've seen nothing yet. Uh, you know, uh, so anyway, um, but on the pages following there, there's uh, 
these spots for where you visit other countries. And uh, I knew you needed a visa to come to the U.S. I guess I didn't realize that they call them visas when you go everywhere else. Well, at least the U.S. calls them that because on the top of all these pages it says visas. And, you know, that's where you go and you stamp that. Uh, why? Because you're only allowed to be here for a little while when you go to the other countries, you see. And we're going to put this, you know, we're going to stamp this visa and you can be here, but you can only be here for a little while. You're a temporary resident. And, uh, you know, and don't forget that. Here he tells us, he tells us, you know, that uh, you are strangers, aliens, temporary residents, you know. So conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. So where they speak against you, those who do what is evil, by observing it, you know, they will glorify God. We are included as residents with him. This life here is just a stamp in the back of that passport that you're a temporary residence. The earth is no longer our home, and we realize that we realize that more and more that it's our temporary residence. And yeah, part of it's because I'm older than I used to be. You know, and I was looking back at well, we're going to get into that anyway. And then I was the guy who, when the door cracked last week, said, "Oh, snow!" And everybody thought, anyway, uh, you know, the Earth. You know, it, it, this is a, it's a temporary residence for us. You know, and we come to realize that fleshly desires that he talks about here, those fleshly desires, uh, they are only temporary distractions. So we become less and less distracted by them. At least we should, and we gain focus on our standing in Christ. This is what he tells us here in those verses. Uh, you know, we begin to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of our residence with Christ. Notice how he describes it honorably. Some of the translations say excellently, but that's in the sight of God. You know, we, we conduct ourselves honorably with graciousness and integrity. That's how we live, with graciousness and integrity. And we don't always do that. I have said to myself over and over, begun to say to myself over and over again, you know, as, um, as people irritate me, um, be gracious. Respond with grace. Respond with graciousness. You know, this graciousness and integrity, that's what he says, you know, honorably. Conduct yourselves honorably. Conduct yourselves with graciousness. Conduct yourselves with integrity of who you are as God's person. You know, the, the word means beautiful to look at. Beautiful to look at. Not a raging maniac screaming out the window because they drive like an idiot. Uh, you know, but beautiful, beautiful to look at. Excellent in nature and characteristics. Because notice what he says. And in that way, they will by observing your good works. They will by observing your good works glorify God. An important aspect of being included is to help others come to know Christ Jesus as well. Verse 12 is pretty clear. Conduct yourselves in such a way that others will be drawn to Christ. You know, conduct yourselves in such a way that others will be drawn to Christ. That when they look, when those who don't know Christ, that's what they're talking about when they say Gentiles, and when they say Gentiles, they mean those who don't know Christ. 
those who don't know, you know, who, who are alienated from God, when they look at you, that they will, that they will bring glory to God. Why? Because they will see your good life. We are included so that we can help others be included as well. We are included so that we can help them come to know new life in Christ by observing your good works, by observing the change in your life. Maybe they didn't know you when you were an idiot. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Maybe they didn't know you before you came to Christ. Maybe they've only known you as a Christian. But you see, they can look at your life and they can see that it's different at the way you respond to problems, the way you respond to struggles, the way you respond to opposition, the way you respond to success and joy, that those things are different. And by observing your good works, they will glorify God. You will help them to find new life in Christ. What God has given us, you know, to us, that relationship with Him, He has given to us so that we might share that with others. We are included as one of His. We're strangers and aliens here, but we are known as His. Not because of us, but because of Him and what He has done in our life. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You're included as God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that gift. That gift of inclusion. Included with you. Included as part of your family. Included as one of yours. Included as a part of that royal priesthood. A holy people. We look and we think, not us, but Lord, this is what you've included us in. And you've done it so that we might live a life so that when others see us, they might glorify you. Just as you told us, Jesus, that they might see our good works but glorify our Father in heaven. May that more and more be true, be a reality for us. May we more and more live realizing we are included as your people. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for the gift of inclusion, we pray with thanks in his name.